Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Home and Away, a podcast devoted to all things in and around the world of Sporting Kansas City soccer. I am Drew Vanderplug, joined once again, as always, by my good friend Cody Welton. This week on the podcast, after a significant hiatus from competitive soccer for Sporting Kansas City, we still have five days until they resume their MLS playoff journey in Houston this upcoming Sunday. It has been a noticeable talking point, specifically because the lack of games don't offer much else to talk about. We will preview preview the match against Houston, what things we expect to see, and how we see these teams matching up going into Sunday. Tactical Corner this week will be a further deep dive into the most recently crowned MLS Comeback Player of the Year, Alan Polito. His return to the regular lineup coincided pretty closely with when Sporting Kansas City started turning their season around, and he scored pretty regularly for several months. So there's a lot of correlation causation being applied to those two things, and Sporting Kansas City was obviously better when he was in the lineup. That said, he is a bit of an enigma from an underlying numbers perspective, and so we'll try to get a grasp on his game a bit better and understand what has made him so successful in his return. Finally, we will discuss the U.S. Men's National Team's qualification for next year's Copa America, albeit including another questionable performance in Trinidad, complete with a Sergio Des mental breakdown that is unfortunately becoming a bit too common. Uh, Cody, it seems like the take du jour the past couple weeks has been bemoaning the gap between first and second round playoff games and taking MLS to task for it. Now, I have been fairly complimentary of how the playoffs have gone so far from an entertainment perspective, but it does seem that perhaps a more condensed scheduling plan could have avoided a gap of quite this size, especially for teams that won their first two games in the first round. As long as I've been a fan of MLS and, and uh, you know, the, what are you going to do? I mean, the, there is a uh, an international break around this time of year, every year. And so uh, scheduling your your playoffs um, around this time of the year inherently has a problem. And so it's, you know, it's either you're having that pause between round one and round two, or you're having that pause, you know, between the final round and, and MLS cup or, you know, the, the, the quarterfinals and semifinals, like it's, it's impossible to get around given the, the reality of MLS schedule. And, you know, I think that, um, soccer purists and, you know, I would probably count myself in that we, you know, we would prefer to have to be on a, on a European schedule, but that's just not realistic. Um, it's not practical and, and it's probably never going to happen. Um, and, and, uh, and for good reasons, like, um, and so I think it's just something that we kind of, um, have to live with and it's not going to get any better anytime soon because, um, you know, when, when the world cup comes here, that that's going to throw everything, um, uh, out of whack. And so, you know, the reality is MLS playoffs and MLS scheduling is just kind of always dumpster fiery. I don't know if it's dumpster fiery. It's just like you said, it's, it is what it is, right? So, yeah. What I mean is it's right. not, it's not European. I mean, it's just not right. And it's just, that's just it. It's not, but it can't, it can't be exactly just, like for all the points that you just made. It just can't be. Yeah. And I think that's the thing is like the, 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 the takes from the people who are like, we should adopt the European schedule. I don't even know if they're serious. Like, I just feel like it's just somebody saying something. They're not actually like in the, in, in a frame of mind where they're actually thinking about what the potential impacts are of trying to do something like that. Or they live in Los Angeles and they just don't get it. Right. right. Like, I mean, it's one of the, it's one of those two things. 
I, I think that um, it just it just can't be. It's going to this is going to be the schedule. Like these are going to be the the months in which the season happens. Leaks Cup was apparently like from a commercial perspective a significant success for both MLS and League MX. So mm-hmm. they're absolutely going to be doing that shit again. So like, they're and they should. They're pausing the season for a month to do that, which means you know, what we had accomplished over the last couple of years, which was drawing the playoffs and closing them before the November international break, which sort of eliminates this issue that we're seeing right now is basically impossible. You can't do it um, unless you remove some games from the regular season. And that is something I had suggested shit. What was it in April Mm -hmm. when we talked about this? I was like, Hey, look, if you trim four games from the regular season, you could do a group stage in the playoffs. You could make it feel like Champions League. You could do that kind of thing. And you could still finish the season before the end of uh, before the middle of November. And, you know, you would have to deal with the October break, but they do that anyway. Right. They've been doing that for yeah. a while. So, yep. like, I, I think that there's a way to, to, to accomplish this in a way that is palatable for the old school soccer fans while still giving Apple a bunch of games to broadcast, you know what I mean? Like just meeting all of those requirements and making it entertaining because you're not playing home and away legs with garbage first legs where, where the low seat is, is hosting the first you know leg and everybody just play it for a zero zero. When you, when you play a group stage, you're much more interested in trying to win every game. And, um, and, and I mean, obviously dead rubber stuff happens in group stages, just like anything else. But I mean, it's something everyone recognizes and understands and would be something that people would be able to get their arms around. But yeah, I mean, the two week gap, it's inevitable. If you're going to play through November, this is what happens. Um, the, the, the international break in November is significant. It always has been. This is why a couple of years ago, they went to the similar single elimination format. Easy for me to say. And then got it done, got MLS Cup done before the the November break, specifically for this reason. And you also eliminate a situation where you're playing in Toronto in mid-December or something like that, right? And also single eliminations are better. They're they're more entertaining, for sure. (laughs) But I thought that that was the whole point I was trying to make uh, two weeks ago. Jesus, has it been that long since we had a podcast? Two weeks ago, when we talked about this, I said, like, that was my whole point of, like, I think MLS got the first round set up right as far as the games. Yeah, the three the three game series, it enabled the teams with the best records throughout the season to have a significant advantage. All all the chalk went through except St. Louis. Yep. So like the home teams with the two home games had a significant advantage and they should you should, you know, give some value to the regular season. So those teams did get that advantage. And the games were mostly entertaining. With the exception of you know some Nashville Orlando because Nashville just can't score, <laughs> but I mean that that's not that's not the fault of the format. That's, right, that's that's, that's the that's, way they play. That that's like the last two months Nashville has been garbage trying to yeah. score a goal. So yeah. they they just they and they went into the playoffs just struggling and that, that so of course those games were a little bit just cagey and not that fun. But the rest of the matches were and and in fact the people that I hear complaining about saying it was entertaining or they were um, fatigued by all of the the stuff and about. Those are the people who only care about watching their team. Right. They don't care about watching the league. Right. And okay, fine. I mean, that that's a perfectly reasonable, like, I don't, I don't, there's 29 teams. I understand it's a lot to consume. Even I struggle to stay on top of what's going on. And we have a podcast where we talk about this league every week. And I struggle to stay on top of 
most of what's happening in the Eastern Conference, if I'm going yeah. to be honest. And so I have to like work at it to pay attention to that stuff. So I get that part of it. But also, this is the best way to provide that content and for people who really do like to consume the league. And we do, and you and I do. I thought the playoffs so far have been fun to allow me to consume it in that way. Yeah, I there, agree. Were, there were games almost every night. You were you were able to watch regularly, and it wasn't it was, and you were able to consume the best teams in each of these conferences mm-hmm. and watch them play. Now, the three week break for teams that won their first two games, I think, was avoidable. I think that part of it was avoidable, and that maybe is a lesson learned that comes out of this: is that um, the third game and the three game set probably should have been a Wednesday. Yeah, because if you do that and then you play again the following Saturday, so if you don't win your first, if if you haven't decided this in two games, the third the third game has to be midweek and you go straight into the following weekend for the next knockout round. So yeah. round two ends up being that next that next weekend. Everybody's playing, and then you go into the international break like normal, right? I think that there would be a way for you to make that happen um, without having every single um, game of the three game set be a week apart. I thought that was a little bit less than ideal. And I think, you know, some of, some of the scheduling was problematic for the teams that share stadiums with NFL teams. And I get that, right. Like Seattle, Atlanta, they had to play their games on a little bit different days because of that. But Wednesday shouldn't be a problem unless just for some reason, you just get really unlucky and your teams and your, and your, your co-tenant is hosting a Thursday night game. Um, But that would be really weird and random. And I feel like you could work around it. So I think that there were there were some opportunities there to do that slightly differently, um, to where that the the international break doesn't create a situation like sporting is dealing with, where they're literally going three weeks between games. Yeah, and the other thing that uh, forcing that that uh, third game to be on a Wednesday would do is it it further incentivizes winning in two games because if you know that you're gonna you know if you if you play that midweek game they're gonna have to have that quick turnaround. I mean, it's you want to win. You want to win both games early so you can have your week break instead of having to play on that Wednesday. So travel, um, very limited prep, yeah. like all the stuff that goes along with it. Yeah, you 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 exactly. You're you took the words out of my mouth. You you've created a scenario where teams the the higher seeded team really goes after that second game on the road. So yeah. that they get that week off. Um so yeah, I I, I mean I, I don't think it's been that bad. I just think no one has anything to talk about because there's no games going on. So all the discourse around the league right now is we're not playing. What the fuck's right. going on? I'm like, well, we've we've been. I, is it is it just me? Like, am I the? I mean, I understand we we make jokes all the time about being like the Stadler and Waldorf of like SK of like MLS podcasters. We're the old guys like yelling and being snarky and joking about stuff, and also being like we're the old men that have seen it all. But it was just two years ago that MLS was. Take it was taking the international break. Yeah, it's in the middle of the playoffs. It's only yep. there's only been two playoffs where they where the MLS Cup has happened before the international break, and I just yep. feel like everybody's completely fucking forgotten about that. Like, like this is something new, and like, oh my god, why did MLS fuck this whole thing up? I'm like, bro, we did this for a long time. Man. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so at, at some point, it's just not like I I don't know. It's uh, it's like for me complaining about the refs like it's just not there's no it's just pointless you know it's, you just well, like, it's, it's, it's not a it's not a serious argument it's more just a like i'm, I'm bitching because i'm grumpy right right it, it's not like an actual serious argument about something 
anyway, so yeah, like I said, this is what happens when there's, especially in the SKC sphere where there's nothing, there's no games happening for three weeks. All kinds of dumb shit comes up, like Antoine Griezmann signing for the club, <laughs> which is, I cannot believe we're even talking about this because it's the most ridiculous shit there. I want to be really clear and um, I want to be really clear about this. And the shades of blue guys were very clear about this too. Cody uh, talked about it. And I think even Thad said it too. It's like, I don't even want to, I don't even want to like call this a rumor. It's not a rumor. And he's exactly right. Like there is nothing to this whatsoever other than fan fiction. Like this has been a fan fiction thing ever since he held up a friggin' Mahomes Jersey. Yeah. And so it's just it, because SKC fans have jack shit to do. And of course, you know, Mahomes was in Frankfurt for the freaking game against the Dolphins and Griezmann, I guess, was there and they exchanged jerseys or something. It's just it's just turned this fan fiction into something. And I'm like, guys, <laughs> there's nothing to this. Griezmann is playing really well for Atletico Madrid right now, by yep. the way. They're, yep. they're extremely happy with him and want him around. And they're paying him a lot of money to be there. And they although they didn't have to. They, they basically Barcelona basically paid them 100 million euros to 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 have him for 12 months. Um but anyway, he he's playing very well for them. He's under contract till 2026. There is literally no contact between any of these parties. The only place where this rumor this quote unquote rumor because it's not a rumor exists is on social is on Sporting Kansas City's social media. Like the cauldron Facebook page and Reddit and all these other stupid ass places where people just really don't have shit to talk about right now. So we've drummed up this thing. Um, it, I don't know. The, the problem, the problem is that we're right. And be, and between the world cup and Mahomes and Taylor Swift, you know, I think Kansas city, we got to be careful not, not to get too big for our britches. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, our britches ain't uh, that big. They, no, they're, they're not. They're not big. <laughs> no, they're not big at all. Congrats! <laughs> I mean, not coming here. <laughs> there, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff happening in Kansas City yeah. right now, especially on the sports side of things. And I think we should all, you know, bathe in it and enjoy it as long as we can. I mean, I know the Chiefs are a little up and down right now, but they're still top of the conference. And as long as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are here together, that's going to be fun times yeah. for Chiefs fans. Just enjoy it. Just yep. revel in it. Take it in. Um, but don't get too don't get too far out over your skis. Like, you know, the other thing too, is that um, I think where people's or some fans sort of perception of this has gotten a little bit pushed out of whack is in the, um, because of the Ronaldo. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I know that you and I, we differ slightly on our um, (laughs) perception of how, how real that situation Uh was. And, and that's fine. We can have our own opinions on that. But I think that um, regardless, they're not comparable. Ronaldo's like the marketing potential of him, whether, you know, let's not even, I, I'm not a fan of the guy in any way, shape or form, but the marketing potential of the guy mm-hmm. is yeah, it's man. like messy. It's, it's, yeah. it's galaxies beyond any other player other than Messi. right? There are two players that drive, in, you know, influence from a from an advertising perspective, from a social media perspective, from a interest perspective globally, more than any other player in the world, and, and by wide, wide margins. Like there are levels to this. Anton Griezmann is a fantastic player, one of the twenty best players in the world, probably. 
he is not at that level. He does not drive that type of engagement. Yeah. And so you can't compare those situations like, oh, well, we were going to sign Ronaldo so we can we can sign anybody. No, we were going to sign Ronaldo because it made financial sense to do it because the amount of dollars he brings with him can offset your investment. Antoine Griezmann would cost minimum $20, $30 million just to get him here. That's that's on, And that's probably lowballing it, honestly. Like, I know that that's what Madrid paid Barcelona to get him back, but Barcelona had to get rid of his salary. Yeah. So there's like a, a whole lot going on there about why that happened. Um, that, you know, Madrid knew they had, or Atletico Madrid knew they had Barcelona over a barrel in that situation from a, from a financial perspective. So say, say it's $30 million minimum to bring him over. And then you're going to have to pay him 15, $20 million a year. Antoine Griezmann doesn't, he doesn't provide that type of value back to the club. So, and I can't even believe that I'm like spending time, (laughs) like explaining why this will never happen. (laughs) But I feel like I have to because some people are kind of like wrapped up in it. And and I, I've seen it so many, like so many people are talking about it like like it might actually be real. And then I just like I don't know a better way to tell you. Not fucking real. It's not happening. <laughs> and 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 the fact that and I appreciate Thad for flat out asking Peter the question. Like I get it. I appreciate him doing it. And I love the fact that Chad Smith was there so he could take video of it so you could see Vermees. He's basically laughing while they're asking him about this shit. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, you know, Vermees had to spend uh, like 60 seconds talking about he's an amazing player. We, You know, I, I, have all, I you know, have all the respect in the world for him. He's great, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, I mean, of course, if we had an opportunity to sign someone like that, of course we'd, we'd want to investigate. Like, that's what he said, you know, along those lines. And then thank God for that. Like, have you spoken? And Peter's like, like, like chuckles. He's like, no, we have not spoken. <laughs> So it's like, yeah, duh. MLS team would like to have Antoine Griezmann. Of course. Of course. Yes, of course you would. That doesn't mean that there's any chance of that occurring anytime soon. And I mean, you're talking two to three years. He, I think the other part of it is Griezmann has made it clear that he does want to come to MLS. He wants to finish his career in the Mm -hmm. United States at some point. And it'll be interesting to see how that calculus shifts with, with the Saudi league and what is the Saudi league really Chinese league 2.0 or not, right? Like three years from now is a Saudi league still just kind of not an actual league, just a bunch of money being paid for older players. Um, so are, is that calculus still out there for Griezmann? But he's been, he's been clear about the fact that he would like to come to the States to finish his career. That's two, three years away, man. Right. Like, you know, maybe maybe the year before the World Cup, if he's not playing and he needs to get to a place where he can get some minutes because he wants to try to make the France squad. And it's going to be in the States. So it's a good place for, you know, some some of that kind of stuff starts to make sense. Gareth Bale kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, right, I can right. see end that of, end of career stuff. Yeah, I could yeah. see that kind of thing happening, but not right now. Not while he's no. all the way the way he is for Atletico. Absolutely not. There's no reason where you can uh, when you can cash another uh couple years of paychecks um in europe and play you know possibly champions league, champions league soccer yeah. every year yeah. like what yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna go to kansas city because i like patrick mahomes no that's <laughs> not how that works dude <laughs> uh, 
All right, let's get back. Let's get back to the, <laughs> the, the three weeks off that have created us created us spending twenty minutes talking about the playoff format and Antoine Griezmann. N- neither thing, which really means much of anything in the grand scheme of things. Um, so is the three weeks off thing like that big of a deal? It's a it, it's a momentum killer for sure. So I think that from a marketing standpoint, it's probably not great, um, and it really. Um, you know the, the the people who are still invested are the the people who, whose cities have teams um, and or the 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 MLS sickos and so um, I don't I don't think you're moving the league forward very much uh, by by having a playoff uh, format like this but you know what do I know? I mean, I, I, I'm I'm not trying to put it at the feet of the, we we've discussed the playoff format. I'm more just talking about like the actual logistics of being off for three weeks at this point in the season. Is it that big of a deal? Like, well, it got, is it, it really that big of a deal? It got us Danny Rosero back, probably. Yeah. So I mean that you know from 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 selfishly from a Sporting Kansas City standpoint, um, it 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 was a really good thing. If we'd have played the week after. Um, that injury uh it's probably uh, unlikely that it would be, he it would be touch and go for yeah. sure i i mean it, it sounded like he was still not in training a week after yeah. but i mean why would you train that if you don't have to if you don't right? have to absolutely i mean yeah. broken noses they'll generally put the big carbon fiber faceplate on yeah. once they've got it set after a couple days it's just you don't want to get hit again right yeah. i mean even with the faceplate on you don't want to get hit again or it's going to be a real problem i, I assume he's going to have some sort of mask on for the game yeah. But I'm, um, I'm looking forward to it. I hope it's scary, honestly. Yeah, well, the old Batman look going should, for Danny. I hope, I hope so. <laughs> I like should... I like it when they do the carbon fiber ones, man. Yeah, they get the they get the Batman look going. Um, Hungman's son wore one for a while, and although he doesn't really look like Batman, he looked like he looked more like Robin. More like... Uh, <laughs> Sonny is way too. He's 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 way too. Um, way too. Um, I don't know what the adjective I'm. Sunny. Yeah, he's sunny. He's sunny. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that was my first thought is from an injury perspective, you know, you have Johnny who's basically been practicing once a week for the last mm-hmm. month because of his groin injury. You know, he's been wearing the little, uh, you know, compression pants and whatnot to kind of just be able to play. Polito has been in and out of training, nursing an injury. Like I actually, from that perspective, I think it was good for sporting from a health yeah. uh, situation to, to be able to, get a little bit healthy. I don't know if they'll be fully healthy, but they'll be a hell of a lot better off than they were if they were, if they had had to keep playing through all of this. Yep. Um, the momentum stuff, there is some value to it. Like there, there's some psychological um, sports psychology to it. That, that is, that is real regarding having momentum, being in flow state, you know, maintaining that state and that confidence, whatnot. It, it is actually helpful to the performance of your team. But I would also say that, um, they're 30, well, geez, with Leagues Cup, Open Cup, playoff games, they've played, what, 40-some-odd, 44 matches this year? I don't know how big of a deal that is right now. It's kind of like the whole thing where people like the week off before the Super Bowl totally mm-hmm. changes the dynamic. I don't really I, – I think some of that shit's oversold, in, yeah. in my opinion. I, I agree. He, this team has been training together and playing together since fucking January, okay? Like – I, I understand that if this happened in March when you're still trying to like get into a flow of performance, I, in November, I'm less concerned about it. I mean, I think it's, a, I don't think it's nothing, but I think it's, 
I think it's given more value than it probably should. Yeah, I I tend to agree with you. You know, and I I I kind of wonder how much uh, the 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 switch to single elimination in this round um, plays into that or or influences that because it's a it's a it's a whole new you know it's a whole new game, frankly, um, and. Um, since it's single elimination, um, in some ways it, 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 it can, I think maybe can kill momentum that a team might've gained in the, uh, in the first round. Um, cause it's just, you know, it's, it's all or nothing one game and, and, and that's it. Yeah. I mean, I think that, but I would say from the last couple months, sporting has been playing in a single elimination game, every freaking game, yeah. you know, for, for several weeks now, right? Like yep. every game has been um, win or go home uh, for the most part for them. I mean, obviously the three game series was different, but it, it, it felt like, you know, must win kind of stuff. Right. And yeah. I mean, cause if they had lost to St. Louis at home, it would have been tough. It would have been really tough to beat them a second time on the road. Yeah. Uh, so I think that um, that there have been a lot of those types of games that Sporting has had to deal with. I don't know that Houston has been in that in that same. They haven't had that same experience. You know, they won a couple shootouts, but basically because RSL was bad at them, not because yeah. they you know they really boned them, you know, really got themselves together for it. So I think, yeah, I mean, it is a different dynamic, but. I would prefer candidly to have the team fully fit physically mm-hmm. yeah, and deal with the match fitness a little. I think the match fitness will come in the first 10 minutes. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I don't think it, I'm I, not that I don't think about that. I don't, I don't think the match fitness is going to be like, Oh, it's going to take them a whole half to get into sync. Yeah. I just don't believe that. I think they'll, they'll pick up the speed of the game pretty fast. Um, and Houston's got the same problem. So, right. I mean, it, it, it's, 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 I don't think it's a big it's a big significant issue either way. Um, I think Kinda, the most, Kinda did most, play today. That's what I was going to say. The most important thing is that Kinda uh, um, escaped the, the international break without injury. Uh, that's the that's the like really the most important thing. He scored a goal and was man of the match. By the way, for Israel, it was a dead rubber. Um, they were they had already been eliminated from from Euro competition. Makes you think, you know, maybe they should have played him more in this four game series, and they did. He did, he did not, not play, play very much. Very much. He yeah. did not. He he started one game, came off at halftime, and then um, came as a sub late, really late, in another one, and that was it. Yeah. Uh, and then he obviously started this this dead rubber match today and played 90 minutes, but he played really well and um, scored a goal. So, I mean, granted, they were playing Andorra. It wasn't like it was the, the most difficult competition in the group. But um, I'm glad that he got some some match minutes. That's actually good for us because he'll be he'll be good to I think he'll be match fit coming in. Yep. Now, granted, he's got to take a long flight back and. And then by you know he'll only be in Kansas City a couple of days before they got to fly to Houston. So there, there's there's a lot of travel involved there, but I don't think that that's going to limit him too much. No, we'll talk okay, in, okay. we'll we'll talk uh, here in a minute about you know should he start should he not what should the midfield look like here um, in a second. Um, anything else on the three week delay? I don't have any other thoughts on this. I think we kind of hit them all. I'm just ready to be done with it. Yeah, that's my no that's shit. my thought. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday night, and I'm like, geez, it's still another five days before yeah. we play. Now, granted, I'm 
I think we've all got, you know, Thanksgiving stuff and whatnot we're preparing for. So that'll keep me busy for a few days, but yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm ready to, to watch, watch some more, uh, sporting Kansas city soccer. That's for yeah. sure. All right. So let's, let's do a little preview of the upcoming match in Houston, uh, Sunday afternoon, late afternoon. Um, I did a little bit of a kind of a deep dive over the last couple months of Houston's matches, just trying to get a vibe for what their shape looks like. How, you know, what can I see from just, you know, from a, from a paper perspective stats wise and what the players like to do kind of what their philosophy is. And we've discussed this before as part of what I think Ben Olson has done for them is allowed them to be a little less rigid and a little bit more free flowing in their, in their philosophy. All that said, it still ends up being a structure we're fairly sim- we're fairly familiar with seeing. And I say that because their possession shape is not that different than sportings. Um, they, they use players in different ways and they definitely progress the ball through a different area of the field, but their possession shape is very similar. Uh, they like to, they like to sit, they like to pull a fullback back along the line of, along the center backs and have three in the back. Um, you know, and they'll be in a three, two, five, three, one, six, three, one, one, five kind of format. That's not uncommon from how sporting does things. Now it's a little bit mirrored in how they do it because, um, because their stay home fullback, that's much more defensively strong as Franco Escobar. So that's their left back. He's, he's generally the one that's a little bit deeper along the center back line. And then Griffin Dorsey, who's the right back, is given a lot more license to overlap and get high. And he provides the width on the right side. This is stuff you see a lot with the U.S. Men's National Team as well. Like this is just a very common thing that you do where you have one fullback that's providing the width, another fullback that's staying back, and then the winger on the opposite side of that, that wide fullback is providing the width on that side. So that is um, Nelson Quinones for Houston. So you'll see Quinones providing the width on the left. And then they've got Armin Bassi, who, when you see their lineup, looks like a 10 in a 4-2-3-1, really plays more like a left side half space merchant, um, very much along the Greg Berhalter ilk. He's on the left side in that in that left vertical half space. And then you've got um, uh, Coco Karaskia, who is listed as a winger in lineup graphics, really plays more again like a right right sided half space merchant. So they have two effective midfielders playing as sort of dual tens in these in these vertical channels, uh kind of in the in the right and the left half space. And then you've got Corey Baird who's playing as a striker. And Hector Herrera is very centrally uh located kind of directly in front of our tour. Our tour is is staying back as and playing as a single pivot kind of player in their in their, in their possession shape. I want to be clear about this. This is in their possession shape. He is he is very much like Nemanja Radia is for Sporting, where he's directly in front of the um, the middle center back, the middle of the th- back three in that circumstance, which is usually um, Michael, I believe, that is playing in that position, their left center back, and he is kind of in front of that position, providing. Um, sort of the outlet, and then Ache Ache is kind of directly in front of him, as opposed to where you see with Remy Voltaire, who's generally shaded off to a side, and they provide sort of the zigzag passing motion. Ache Ache is much more central and distributing. Um, he is by far one of the highest passes attempted midfielders in the league, and he does like to distribute to both sides. And so they like to play up through that central channel 
get Ache Ache on the ball and let him find either the wide players or those half space merchants kind of like sitting in the, in the right and left half space. And he's, he's really the distribution hub for how uh, Houston likes to move the ball. Um, Now, all of that said, we know soccer is not like people don't stand in one place, right? That that's not how this works. That is kind of the general sort of average positioning kind of ideal of what they're doing. Ache Ache floats a lot. If you watch their game film, that guy is floating a lot. He's much more a creative outlet for them than Armin Bassi is, who is ostensibly listed as the 10. Abassi plays a lot more like a winger. Uh, he's a he's um he's like an MLS Gio Reyna. Is the kind of is the kind of player that he is, where he's kind of floating from the half space to wide and being much more sort of a cutting um, available player. And he he's scored a lot of goals for them this year, but he is not a number ten. He's not a creative outlet. Um, he's much more of a uh, maybe Polisic's actually a better comparison because it, it's just he's he's much more like receiving the ball and driving forward with it and trying to get on goal than he is necessarily trying to find the pass. So. It's just something to be aware of as you look at how Houston is trying to create chances. Ache Ache is much more important for how they deliver the ball into dangerous areas than pretty much any other player on the field. Yeah, and um, he's great, and um, and because of the the centrality of his uh, of both his positioning, but also the centrality of his um, his play and attack. Uh, it means that that uh, Houston is attacking from central spaces most of the time, and um, you know, I in some respects I think that 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 um, bodes well for Sporting Kansas City. I think that um, uh, generally speaking, Sporting Kansas City's midfield three is uh, is good at um, at at preventing teams from playing through the, the, the center part of the field. Um, and, you know, you can, as much as we like to sometimes, um, you know, gripe about positional play and, and the rigidity of it. Uh, this is one of those cases where um, I think that, that, that it's helpful because you've, you know, you, you, you have those three midfielders and their, um, their responsibility, their, their their positional responsibility and their need to sort of stay home and stay uh, and stay disciplined in that in that structure mean that there's always going to be players there and uh, and I think that it means that um, that they're going to be in in pretty good position to um, you know to block passing lanes um, to uh, if we're talking about you know um, uh, Radia you know to to um, to uh, mark maybe Hector Herrera a little more closely. Um, and so I'm actually like, um, I'm not, I'm not as, uh, you know, so, so nationally um, Houston's getting a lot of love and, and, uh, and I guess sporting are, are pretty much um, viewed as underdogs, but I'm really not as concerned uh, about it as all of that. I mean, I think that uh, I think that Herrera is, is definitely like the, the, the main, the main driver of that, um, um, of that attack. But, um, you know, I think that, that, you know, there are ways that, that he can be minimized or even neutralized. And, you know, I think that a lot of that comes, might come down to, you know, who, who starts in the SKC midfield, how, um, how attacking they go. Um, you know, if, 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 uh, 
if Vermis really wanted to throw a wrench into things, I mean, he could start Kinda and Tommy and, um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and that could be wild, you know, but, um, but, you know, a way to, um, a way to neutralize a, a, a good, va a, a valuable attacking player like Herrera is to make him play defense and, um, and make him play defense by, by throwing two good attacking midfielders out there. One area of his uh, of his uh, visualization graph, if you go to FB Ref and you got the FB charts thing, that is not um, ideal. I mean, he is best in the league in a lot of areas as a midfielder, but defensively, that is not his his area of expertise for sure. Well, and and that that that's the same of of all of those midfielders, sure, uh, except for except for Artur. Right. And, and that's because our, and I think that's why they are set up the way they are. Yep. Our tour is a much more traditional Cody Welton style of defensive midfielder. He's cleaning stuff up. He's getting into tackles. He's winning duels. Like that is his, that is what he's a dirty, he's getting, getting his hands dirty and figuring it out. Right. Um, and the other midfielders they have are much more creative and active and moving around and um, being much much more interested in what's happening in the in the attacking half of the field. So I I think that that's reasonable um, that that they would be set up in that way. Uh, but I think I think your point is valid. I I, uh, I was thinking about you know when we got carved up by Houston earlier this season. And I remember Voltaire like absolutely just losing Herrera and just like watching him walk right by him at the top of the 18 with the ball. And I'm like, how can you let a player like that do that? And I was reminded of the fact that Voltaire was playing the six in that game and we did not have Nemanja Radia available. And when we were in Houston um, late this season and we got a draw, um, that was Nemanja Radia on the field. And I think that that does, I think you make a very valid point about his ability, his natural ability and whether it's, I don't know that it's man marking Ache Ache. I don't think that's necessarily the best thing to be doing because it does allow those half space merchants to kind of float behind him in that circumstance. But I do think that he has good instincts for when to step to Ache Ache and put him under pressure. And, um, that is the kind of thing that I I I, th I hope he is able to be successful at limiting. Yeah, I think that that man marking was uh, was uh, the wrong. Uh, it was not the the way I was actually thinking about it. I, I was thinking about more as like a uh, you know in the NFL when you have like uh, you, you know running quarterbacks and you have a linebacker as a spy, right? Just somebody sort of, sort of keeping tabs and and stepping up to make a play when necessary. And that's sort of more the way I. Um, uh, I think about it, and you know the thing is, is that is that a lot of a lot of Herrera's um, work comes, um, you know, comes on the back end of an attack, right? So you know he he helps facilitate, get the ball up to uh, up to the other attacking players, and then you know he's making you know sort of a, a delayed run into the box, oftentimes or uh, or up to the the edge of the box, and um, and so. You know, it takes a position, uh, a positionally sound defensive midfielder to sort of stay, uh, to stay in that area to uh, to, to shield the center backs, uh, because that's the the that's that space that a player like Herrera likes to step into, likes to either step into um, and be available as an outlet or to make runs through that area of the field. Yeah, he's he's 
that fourth or fifth arriving player. Um, and then when the ball recycles around after some chaos, he can use that and then find the next pass. His distribution is just really, really good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, there's stuff that you have to keep an eye on, but I, I think that that that's where your point is valid is that Radia naturally sees that run coming and mm-hmm. knows, knows how to eliminate it uh, much more effectively than when Voltaire plays in that position. And I, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, impugn Voltaire or besmirch his capability as a soccer player. It's more that Roddy is a much more natural defensive midfielder and seeing those plays develop ahead of time and, yeah. and, and, and knowing where Anache Ache is going. I mean, Roddy played at Salto de Vigo against Atletico Madrid when, when mm-hmm. Ache Ache was playing there with Coke and um, all those different players. Like he's seen this, he's, he's aware of what those high-level um, midfielders that played in La Liga will do, and he knows how to track those runs, and I think that that is a valuable set for sure that we did we just didn't have um, when things kind of went sideways the first time we played Houston. You know, as as valuable as, as Hector Herrera is, and as good as he is, and as as instrumental in uh, in the attack as he is uh, for Houston, um, his his impact on the game and his impact in their midfield is not really not that dissimilar from um, from Gattakinda's impact in Sporting's uh, midfield, uh, and so um, like like in my mind, um, you know, I think maybe too big of a deal is made uh, of Hector Herrera um, because he's a Concacaf player because he played for Mexico, and like I'm not I'm not disparaging him. I'm just saying that we have our own guy too, right? He and, played a decade at Atletico Madrid. I mean, this is not like right, a- right. No, I no, I understand, I understand, but I mean, just just you know, looking at. Uh, looking at the the underlying underlying numbers here in MLS this season, um, I think the two players uh, compare very favorably. They're they're really really favorably comparable, except for the passing. The yeah. Gotti is just not the passer. And we, that we, and we know that. Right? We know yeah. that that is not that that is not Gotti's thing. So it's yeah. And so I think that that that's why I highlighted the passing part of it because if yeah. you can pressure him and eliminate his passing lanes, all of a sudden you've turned him into a much less effective player. Yep. And I think that 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 is where that is Ben Ache Ache's sort of um, cheat code to unlocking mm-hmm. teams is when he can get on the ball, he can do the La Pausa, he can send the next pass. That is when Houston starts rolling. And so if you can eliminate that from him, then he's then you're relying on Armin Bassi or Coco Karaskir or somebody to release Corey Baird, right? Yeah. And and yeah. all of a sudden yeah. the 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 house of cards starts to fall apart for them. And I, I think it's an important point that you were making about how it seems like all of a sudden a lot of the the national pundits, you know, TSS extra time, whatever, are all of a sudden all on the Houston train. And I understand why Houston finished yeah. the season very strongly as well. Mm-hmm. But you know who, who was just as good at them at the end of the year? It was yep. Sporting Kansas City. And what was wild to me is I listened to Joe and Goss on TSS talk about Sporting knocking out St. Louis and basically say before the Houston RSL series was over, I think Sporting's favorite against either of these teams. Right, and, and then, then as soon not. as Houston wins, <laughs> yeah, <I don't> <laughs> that that tune changed pretty significantly. So, and and Houston didn't win that game; they had to win in penalties again. Mm-hmm. Right, they had to win in penalty. RSL won the first penalty, so they had to win in penalties to get out of that. And so, I, I just think that um, 
it, it's kind of funny. I, I don't I don't try to put too much weight into those things. Mike Kuhn was on the Discord today talking about it. There's 29 teams in this league. Most of the national analysis is going to be an inch deep. It's just the way that it is. And, yep. and I think that that's okay. That mm-hmm. is why you and I do a podcast specifically about this club. 100%. So that we can actually talk about the, the inner workings and the details of this club. Because it's, it's just impossible for as much. I, I like David Goss. I love Joe Lowry. He's, he's a great analyst, analyst. And I actually really like what he does. And he knows way more about this league than I do. But his analysis can only be so informed, so informed when there's yep. 29 teams to cover. And, yep. and I think that's true of anybody that's doing that stuff. So totally um, it, it's fun to, it's fun to take shots at them. And, you know, of course the St. Louis guys did the whole thing where they had the freaking you know, same shit that Austin did where their prediction, you know, everyone put their predictions on the wall. I'm like, come on guys. Like surely you've come up, you got to come up with a better way to motivate you. If, if that's what motivates you, like, come on. I mean, I don't know. They're kids. They're, I, I always forget that all these players were the vast majority, except, except in Kansas city, the vast majority of them are under 30. So they're like, you know, they're motivated by dumb shit. But anyway, they feel slighted by Andrew Weeby picking them 12th. <laughs> okay. I think cool story, uh, bro. <laughs> I, I mean, I really think that the that the the thing to watch in the game is the midfield, right? I mean, um, that's what we've just spent the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes talking about. And that's, I think, where... Corey Bear is not going to create chances well, on his so, own. So, so this You're is not it, right? gonna, They're not going to send the ball over the, the top to Corey Baird. Like, that's not how they're going to score goals. Um, if, you look, if you look at, you know, line by line or position by position, you know, you can call... I would call the the the, the defensive lines kind of a push, right? Uh, our defense isn't great. Their defense isn't great. Very similar roles uh, from the two center backs, just switch, you know, from the, from you know, the, the possession center back is on the right in their system more and that ball winning center back is on the left so it's just kind of a mirror image of, of sporting kansas city's um the uh sporting kansas city has a clear advantage um with the attacking line um and sporting kansas city has a clear advantage um um in goalkeeper and so it's really just a matter of what happens i think in the midfield and and um and like i i think that there's reason for uh, a lot of optimism honestly I don't think I think I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. I don't I I expect Sporting to be in this game and to be extremely capable. If not, I I sort of expect I expect them to win. Will they? I don't know. Um, but if they play at the level that they're capable of playing at, they are better than Houston. Yeah. And so from that perspective, I expect them to win this game now. Do is that you know it's a single elimination playoff game and they're on the road sure. and you yep. know all kinds of shit can go different ways and yeah of course something could happen but all things being equal if they're playing at their capability level Sporting Kansas City is a better soccer team than Houston is they should win this game now yep. they could lose and that's what that's what MLS playoffs are and and they're and we're trying to outline some ways that I think Houston has capability of being dangerous. Um, let's let's move to that midfield conversation from a Sporting Kansas City side because I think we know what we're going to see from Houston. We we know it's going to be Karaskia, mm-hmm. Basi, Ache Ache, Artur, um, Nelson Quinones on the left wing. That like we know we can pretty much write their lineup down. We know what it's going to be, and it's not different, not that different from Sporting, right? Like the these both of these guys, they know who their best eleven is. Um, obviously, we're going to see Leibold at left back, but the only are we? I mean, have you been practicing? I haven't 
Haven't yeah. really seen, has he? Okay. I mean, I, I they they're not going to let much stuff. I, I I've seen the stuff I've seen from guys that were at practice didn't specifically call out libel, but said everyone was in practice except and was never libeled. Okay. So um, yeah, I, the the word from uh, Vermees was that he would been he would have been in the lineup if they needed him. Like he right. was already healthy enough to play two weeks, like both St. Louis games. He was he was healthy enough to play. It was a matter of we have in Denbe, we have a backup plan if he has to come off and we don't want to use a bench spot on a other left back, right? right. Like and and guys coming off of a groin injury, why even worry about why? It, right? Yep, absolutely. So I think, yeah, I mean, from that perspective, I don't think health is necessarily an issue for him. Um, but I you know, I think we, you know, the, there will be a change at left back, obviously, with Leibold. But the 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 area where we don't know for sure who's going to start is at the left side at eight ten, right? I think the I think Kenda Tommy in the midfield together. I mean, I understand why you said it, but it's not no going to happen. That's not happening. Yeah, it would be Radia, great. Honestly, Radia. I it would be great if it did. I I I'm. I'm I mean that, that would that would be that would be taking the freaking leash off and just letting them run kind yep. of stuff. But yep. I, I think with Leibold at left back as well, I just don't think that that's a really good idea. Yep. Um, defensively, like you you could you could open yourself up to some bad counterattacks, and they with Karaskia and Bossi and Quinones, they can get on the break if they want yep. to. I, I don't really I don't really want to mess around with that. And I don't think Vermees will either. It's it's on the road. He's going to be pragmatic. We totally agree. Everything we know about Vermees is he's a pragmatist. So yep. we're gonna we're gonna see that. So the question is, Gotti Kenda played, you know, not eighty nine minutes today. He's getting on a plane, so he'll be in Kansas City sometime tomorrow, Wednesday, and then obviously recovering and whatnot. I kind of think that Tommy's going to start this match. Oh really? Yeah. I don't think so, but I, I'm interested to hear why you think that. Well, I think firstly because he's going to be he's been training with the team the whole time, while sure. Kenda's been at national national team camp. the The thing you can be certain of with the three weeks off, and I know that I know the players got like four or five days before they had to come back to training. They like Vermees gave him a little bit of a holiday, which is good. Like get him away, let him like recharge and whatnot. Um, but for the last two weeks. They've been in training and Tommy's been here and I'm sure that they're, they've got some specific things they're working on to make sure that they're functional at for this match. And Tommy's been in training for all of that. Gotti has not. Now I'm sure he's been getting videos and all the kind of things that, you know, to be prepared for it. But I doubt that uh, the, the Tommy's been there. The other thing that I would say is, and I mentioned this two weeks ago, I feel a lot more comfortable giving Eric Tommy defensive responsibilities on the left side than I do Gotti Kinda. And I think that those are going to be somewhat necessary with Leibold in there. I think that um, there you you have given yourself the ability to be a little bit more um, conservative. And I just I, this is me. This is is this a choice I would personally make? I don't think so. I understand why Vermees would make it, and I'm trying to think, get myself inside his head about how he looks at things. And he's a very much everyone defends defense first kind of guy. And um, I just, I see um, that being a little bit more of a conservative option. Personally. 
Yeah, I think that uh, I think that makes sense. Uh, I was thinking conservatively too, um, other, but I was thinking more of, of along the lines of what we've seen um, in the past couple of games with with uh, uh, Voltaire sort of hanging back more double pivoty and and Kinda having more. Yeah, but you don't um, want to you don't want to give Houston possession. That's not a good idea. Like I don't think that I think this game is going to be. I under, the, I felt like that was a tactical switch specific to St. Louis. Yeah, I don't I, think you, that, you might be right. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that that. Just my personal opinion. I don't feel like that solution works against Houston as effectively. And in fact, I think you end up giving Houston what they want, which is possessing the ball in your half. Right. And I, I. That's. I, I don't think that that's a. That's. I, you. You want to push Houston into their own defensive half. That's where they don't want to be. Um, that th- that's where this is going to be a clash of styles quite a bit because neither team wants to be defending in their own half. Mm-hmm. Like there's going to be a lot of back and forth in this one and it'll be, it's a good thing with three weeks off. They'll be ready to run because I mean, there's going to be a lot of back and forth going on and there's going to be a lot of possession change in the midfield. Um, and it may not, we may not have the most beautiful connecting of passes, especially for the first half hour. Cause I just think that there's going to be a lot of people, a lot, both teams are going to be trying to repress and regain the ball a lot in the middle. Um, and I think that I could talk myself into Gotti being ideal in that circumstance, right? Like I understand why from a, from that mentality, you'd want it. I don't know. I, I'm a, I might be overthinking. I just, I, I'm not going to be surprised in the least if Tommy starts this match. Yeah, so so I can imagine, you know, if 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 Gotti plays, it'll be more of sort of like the mid block four four two type of a uh, a setup. Um, and I think maybe if if it's uh, if it's Tommy and Voltaire, I think you might see more of a uh, you know wingers tucking back and and uh, the two eights uh, pressing a lot uh, high alongside. Um, uh, Polito, um, that seems to be kind of the way that you know the way that they've the the, the two modes uh, that they yeah. that they've used commonly this this season. When Vermees has tried to use the the four four two with Tommy High in that position that mm-hmm. Kinda is often in, he has not been effective up there. Right, way, right, right. So that's, and that's better. why. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's I why I think that 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 could it's, play into it. It's basically a four-five-one versus a four-four-two in kind right. of their mid-block setup, and then yeah, you're right. The eights become a lot more active in pressing versus the versus the um, versus the two forwards, and and pinching in from the side with mm-hmm. the wingers. So, yeah, from a defensive perspective, that's a good that's a good point. I you know, I'm, if if you know, we could go into the whole tactical evaluation here if. Houston's possession shape is sort of that three one one five kind of thing three two five three one six. Does it make more sense to have three pressers in that circumstance? Right, it might. Although you know you can get overloaded pretty quickly if they get if the if their midfielders get behind. So it's 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 I don't know that's I hadn't thought of it in that way. So that's a that's a good point. Yeah, that's, it, why, that's why they paid your raise the big bucks. <laughs> right, right. It's got that now, contract. Now, uh, now I just want to. Now I just want to get the coaching board out and like you know put all the yeah. little mag, put all the little yeah put the magnets on there and, and kind of think about it. Yeah, I mean because yeah, if you you get into a place where Polito and the two eights are pressuring their back line, yeah, 
that puts a lot of stress on Roddy at that point. They're, they're, the midfield could get overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, it puts a it puts a lot of stress on Radia, but I mean, you know, who's Radia? Who's Radia marking? Right, Corey Baird. Okay, Ache. I mean, no, Ache Ache know. is. I mean, Ache Ache, Ache Ache will be a little bit deeper, I think, and um, um, in that circumstance. Yeah, but you but, but you lose, but that you see what I'm saying? Like if, oh, I see what you're saying. You'd have the wingers pinched in to either side of their double pivot. Okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I don't, know. I don't know. I mean, so, so, so the thing is, too, that you know, another thing to think about is if, is if, um, if Sporting Kansas City presses with the, um, with the eights, then you know, you are, you are essentially opening up the midfield to some degree. And, right. um, and that was the it, point I was making. Oh, like, was I it? Okay. Like, yeah. Because okay, the midfield becomes yeah. a pretty open area. Yeah. Okay. Even if you're, even if you're pinching the wingers in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I mean why Roddy is kind of by himself. It's yeah. like the midfield; he's defending the midfield basically on his own. And yeah. I think that that now, granted, you have two wingers who are exceptionally good defensive wingers, and Russell yeah. and Shallowy, and they understand their defensive responsibilities well. But I just feel like with the the fact that Houston likes to play through the middle so significantly, like that mm-hmm. is their preferred direction of movement for the ball. Definitely, at least until they get into the their attacking half. I feel like pressing with the eights leads them into the shape they want to be in. Sure. If that makes sense. That, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so maybe it is Gotti Kendo and they play, they press out of the four, four, two. That may, that may be the reason to do that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see on Sunday. It's a lot of things that I hadn't even really considered before talking to you about it. So um, that's why we do why it. We, this is why we nerd out on soccer <laughs> once a week or once every other week, depending on whether there are games to talk. About. So speaking of nerding out on soccer, just a quick aside, like, you know, I know you, you and I both watch uh, a lot of European soccer and like, have, like, do you, do you see other teams press their two eights high like that? Um, like Vermes likes to do. Like, I can't think of like really seeing that, that often at all i don't i can't think of any team i've seen really do that other than Burnley. well who really who really uses a 4-3-3 this sort of ideologically um not like, not many people nowadays <laughs> no i mean 10 years ago you would yeah. see this a lot i yeah. don't know that you see it as much anymore because most most teams don't do that i haven't been watching ix that much and they've been a dumpster fire anyway but they are obviously have been 4-3-3 ideologues um tottenham did it a little bit now that uh, James Madison's out, you saw that worked against Wolves. Um, I, I'd have to think about it. I mean, Jurgen Klopp did it. He did it in the past, right? But but that's not really he has, for us nowadays. He hasn't. He hasn't for several years. Yeah. Um, so yeah, because it, it, it's one of those things that you and I have discussed before. It's like, um, it, at some level. You're like, is Vermees a little behind the times? But also, you're like, he's the only one doing it. So is he a little bit like ahead of the curve, outside the box? <laughs> right. Yeah, is he a little outside the box on it yeah. because no one's doing it and everyone's running a four-two-three-one? And I mean, the big thing—the big thing now is inverted fullbacks. That's what we see all the time. Is you know, Ange Postacoglu does it. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp does it. Like this whole inverted fullback midfielder thing. That I mean, fucking Vermees did that like four years ago with Dusi. Yep. So yes, I, I think I think that maybe he's a little bit more of a uh, nouveau sort of outside the box thinker than maybe we, that we perhaps give him credit for. But yeah, you're right. I don't think I don't see it that much. Um, 
even Burhalter's not doing it anymore. No. So I, that's a it's a really good question. Um, he Burhalter did do it in like 2019, and it was kind of an abject failure, and he kind of moved <laughs> away from it. You so, gotta have, you got to have the right players to do it. I mean, that's that's the thing, you know. Right. Well, and in in Burhalter has to choose players from a pool, where, whereas right. Vermees can build the roster in his image. Yep. Right. And I yep. think that he has the players to do what he wants to, you know, he has the guys that can, that can press with their eights. Um, and even before we had these guys, you had Roger Espinosa, you had, mm-hmm. I mean, he taught Benny Failhaber to be an aggressive runner. Like, I mean, there there's, there's a lot to over the last six or seven years where he's, like I said, built the team in, in his image and the way he, he sees the game. And I think that there's value to that. Um, just as long as they have their best players available. Otherwise things can get pretty dire. And I think that's the problem. We've brought this up for two years is that he has a clear idea of what he wants to do. But if there's a couple dominoes start falling, things can get real bad, real fast because of it, because it's so it's everyone's everything's so reliant on the next thing that, um, once once you uh you know remove one of the, the house of cards thing comes up like all that kind of stuff it's 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 a really really um well thought out planned system that once one link in the chain is removed it's it falls completely apart and i think yep. that so there, there is there is that impact to it as well whereas ben olsen has a much more fluid tactical style that allows them to be a little bit more effective, even when they don't have certain players available. And and I think that there's value to that as well. I, I'm not saying one's right or one's wrong. I'm just saying, oh. I mean, I mean, <laughs> fucking Spurs had were had all of their defenders across the half line while they were down two men against Chelsea. It still almost scored. Like, I mean, I, I at some point, you know, you are who you are and you, you, you play the way you play and, we can disagree. <laughs> that, that, that's how we lost 10 games at the beginning of the season. Just like, well, we're just gonna... but, that, but that's, that's what Spurs are dealing with now. Yeah. The two most impactful signings of the off season, which were James Madison, who I think you, you have correctly, you know, uh, analyzed is playing in the perfect place for him, like perfect system, perfect role for him. Right. And then Mickey Vandeven, who is the, the, the center back that was promised or has been promised for like eight years. They yeah. finally found him and, and then he gets injured. Like he's been, I, I've never seen a tall white guy run that fast in my life. Like that guy runs down everybody. <laughs> I, I was like, Jesus. Um, and you know, he, he's a tall Dutch center back. So he's got like a warm place in my heart, but yeah, I mean, but both of those guys are injured and you see how immediately Spurs sort of fell apart when that, when that happened. Yeah. They look um, like a different team. Yeah. And you take two extremely high quality players in very um, leveraged positions on the field. Yep. And this is what happens. And it's the same thing that happened to sporting um, two of their high quality players in, in the middle of the spine were not available. Yep. And, and just things got bad. And now that they have those players available, they look pretty good. So we'll have to see if that continues. All right, let's do a tactical corner real quick. We're gonna do this one fast. Uh, Cody put something in our rundown sheet a couple weeks. It's been like three or four weeks ago. You put this in here yeah. and it was, it was, and we we've, we've talked about it. So I know what it is, but um, I'm trying to figure out the best way in a podcast medium to, uh, <laughs> to, to help set the stage here. 
But basically, Cody loves to parse through, you know, years of FB ref statistics and <laughs> and and sort of analyze uh, the 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 information there and kind of take a look at two different things. So Cody grabbed two two players from two different seasons, two Sporting Kansas City players from two different seasons. And um, they both from these two seasons, they have very, very similar numbers. Twenty two hundred minutes, twenty five, twenty six starts. Their non penalty expected goals is about five. Their expected assists um, was like three or four. Um, the the only significant like their shot, shot creating actions was about fifty total. So per ninety, they create about two to three shot creating actions per ninety. Goal creating actions were were a little bit higher for for one of the players, but. Um, you'll be interested to know who had the higher goal creating actions when we get through this conversation. <laughs> um, but very, very similar. The only difference was progressive passes, double the progressive passes for player number one. Um, player number one is Alan Polito this year. Okay. Player number two, 2018 Kyrie Shelton. Now, I'm going to say something. I'm, I'm going to like protect myself for a second because I am on record and I have to go search the tweets, but I, my friends know <laughs> that I, my friends know that I'm on record about this because they used to argue with me about this all the time. I am on record in 2018 of saying that Kyrie Shelton was a good player for sporting Kansas city. Like mm-hmm. he was, he was valuable. He, yeah. he, he, he did a lot of really good things playing center forward for this team. And a lot of people used to get grumpy about here. Oh, the holdup play, blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, he was holding off center backs and dropping passes off to wingers that were taking shots. And it shows because the guy with almost three times the goal creating actions in this player comparison is Kyrie Shelton. So goal creating action is you, you did the thing that created that you did. You did the thing like you left the pat and it's not necessarily an assist, but maybe it's a secondary assist. Maybe it's a, a, a dual win that led to a shot that created the goal, all those kind of things. That's what goal creating actions look like. They are, uh, he, he did things that created goals at almost three X, the rate of Alan Polito. Now other people will say, well, isn't creating goals, scoring goals. And I'm like, no, goal no. creation and goal scoring are mm-hmm. two different things. You did a thing that created a goal. You did a thing to score a goal are two different things. So I want to make sure that everybody understands that, but it's kind of crazy, and the reason I'm bringing this up, and I talked about this in, in the intro, was that Alan Polito's a bit of an enigma statistically. Mm-hmm. Um, his XG is extremely low. His non-penalty yeah. XG is really low. Yep. Um, we've, talked about, G- we've talked about his goals added. Yeah, his like, G+, plus, his G plus yeah. is last in the league. Yeah. Like, his underlying numbers are not good. No, they're not, not good. Now he puts the ball on the net and he has a history of when he's healthy, putting the ball on the net. So I think that there's something to be said for that. And as I mentioned two weeks ago, when you look at these numbers, these are trailing indicators of success, not leading indicators of success. We do not have his motion tracking data. We do not have his positioning against his, against, um, his opponents as well as his teammates and how he 
creates space with his own movement that allows his teammates to be successful. That's a goal creating action that can't be measured. Like you and I can't measure when Alan Polito makes a near post run and keeps it wide open for shallowly to shade into the far post. Like those are the kind of things that we can see on tape, but you can't, you can't uh, get from FB ref. Now you can get it from your own statistical models. When you have your motion tracking data, this is all the stuff we talked about, about, about Redbird and um, the guys that run AC Milan and whatnot, how their statistical models work. They have their own, all this internal data related to player um, positioning and, and run it and, you know, all, all the things outside of actual touches of the ball, because a player's only touching the ball for about 3% of the game at best. Yep. So <laughs> there's 97% of the game where they're doing something else. So um, you need to, you need to I want to be clear about that part of it is we're talking about trailing indicators, but the trailing indicators don't look that good for Polito. Um, he has vastly overperformed his numbers this year, which also shows his quality. I don't know what to take from this. I, don't, I, I mean, I don't know what to take. I mean, I think it's, I think it's fair to look at it, but I also believe that, and I said this two weeks ago, I believe that it's much more likely that next season Polito gets, still gets the same attention drawing center backs to his place that that he did last this season and he is getting over the last couple months uh, last month or so where he has not been scoring as regularly but it's opening space for his teammates i think that that continues next season whereas when Kyrie Shelton returned it did not continue because teams understood that they didn't need to provide that level of um concern yeah to to his positioning I think that that's uh, completely accurate, and I think that that's uh, an excellent um, way to – that's an excellent conclusion to draw, to draw from the analysis. Um, and the whole reason why I, I, uh, I chose that season um, uh, to, to look at Kyrie's numbers for is because that was another season where Shallowy had, um, had a, a lot of success. And, and so, um, you know, I was uh, – what I was doing is I was just looking for – you know, um, I was just looking for indicators as to why Shallowy um, was successful and and what that has to do with who's playing at center forward and um, and and I think Shallowy's had a, a really really uh, almost under the radar fantastic season uh, and he's been um, you know one of the one of the team's most dangerous players um, uh, all season but especially and uh, you know leading up uh, to this playoff run and so. Um, I was really, really mostly thinking about Shallowy, but it got me also thinking about um, uh, about the the center forward position. And I I just shared a graph with you uh, also of a of another. Uh, so this is uh, this is one of those players is Alan Polito, um, and um, and the these are this year's numbers. And the other um, the other is an is uh, a player who plays the same position actually uh, for a different team. So I don't know. Is it Corey you, Baird? Is, is that what no, you're doing to me no, right now? No, 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 no. It's not Corey Baird. It's not Corey Baird. Uh, <laughs> the reason why is because Polito again does not look very favorable in this graph. Like the comparison right. is is he's assist on penalty x. You know, it's not and non penalty xg. I know is low. Shot creating actions like he's just. I mean, and Polito's shot creating actions are. Or what, like 65th percentile, something like that. Yeah, they're not they're like not terrible, terrible, right? But they're not, they're not, they're not $10 million DP level either. Right. Um, so, so, you know, the, one of the places where, where Polito's number. You're going to tell me who it is. Is it, I am, is it Raul Ruiz? Uh, 
No, it's not. It is uh, Jesus Ferreira, actually. Um, who, I mean, that makes sense. It uh, does actually look. Yeah, at this. that's yeah. that's why I looked at the two of them. Uh, well, and they comparison. play they play the they play the role similarly. So that's actually mm-hmm. a really good comparison to look at because Jesus likes to drop yep. back. He's much more of a creative player than he is um, necessarily a target forward, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And he's he he creates space with his movement. He likes to drop back and release wingers. Like this is what he does. And you can also see it like his tackles and interceptions. Cause he's always much yep. deeper and he's defending yep. and whatnot. So sorry so, guys, I'm looking at a graph that you can't see, but Jesus is much better in some defensive metrics, which I would expect just knowing his playing style, but his assists and his yeah. non-penalty X goals and shot creating actions are way better. Yeah. Which I'm not surprised by, to be completely honest. Um, and but so I don't think, and that's 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 one. I, that's I think the most for me the most disappointing thing about Polito's game is is lack of assists and lack of uh, um, of of uh, dangerous passes. Um, but I mean, he's he's but his he's progressive passes are really yeah. hot. Yeah, and, and that, so that's the thing. It's like I think it's different when you when you look at this. So Polito's progressive pass numbers are actually really really high for a center forward. And the reason is because he's receiving the ball so deep on the field, mm-hmm. usually. Yeah. Um, so it's hard for him to create an assist when he is like inside the circle. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Like that's a hard place to hit an assist from, but he hits the pass before the pass before the pass. Right. In a lot of circumstances. Yep. And you, so you're not even getting a secondary assist for that, but he is, he is creating movement for this team that is really good. He's just not Harry caning it straight into someone's path on right. goal right and i think that that part, that part of is, that part of that is because that is not the way the team attacks right i mean he's, he has nobody to pass to no. he, you know, he he has players coming to him to play towards feet to kind of to play additionally to he can pull two center backs all the way up to that yeah. circle with him yeah tezos ferrer is not doing that yep no that's they he doesn't receive the same level of attention so I think that like but Ferrer Ferreras can also play in behind, and mm-hmm. that's that's not Alan Bolito's game either. Um I think Ferrer is much more of a 10 than he is a center forward anyway. I, I think he's more of a maybe like a Thomas Mueller kind of like player, like what do they call it? The round deuter. Yeah. The, the the that kind of guy I think is more Ferrera's style than necessarily like an out and out like forward. Um he plays in that position because he's Actually, a pretty good goal scorer yeah. is no matter what the U.S. men's national team Twitter would let, lead you to believe. Um, so it's not bad for him to be there. But when no. he had his best year was when he was playing as a 10 behind Pepe up front and they scored goals for fun that way, because Pepe is a target striker and um, and Jesus is definitely the guy that could drop behind him and then and put him into play. I, I think I think that. Your your earlier point is is the best one, which is the way this team plays has some impact on Polito's ability to create numbers in these sort of again trailing indicators um, on FB Ref Opta American Soccer Analysis that we believe are valuable. And I I don't think that it's I don't, I don't want to poo poo them because I was the one spending a lot of the second half of the season talking about how St. Louis was going to regress because they were vastly overperforming the underlying numbers and they were extremely lucky. And Polito was scoring at a rate that was not maintainable. Just realistically, it wasn't. Now, granted, some of it was penalties, but the other, the, the, he was just, he was scoring a lot of goals that a high quality striker you want him to put home, but also realistically, eventually he was going to stop scoring at that rate. It just he wasn't going to keep scoring 
well beyond his XG for a long period of time. Um, the only one that does that is Lionel Messi. Everyone else eventually sort of evens out. And I, so I think that we we have to be at least understanding of the fact that there he has plenty of value and I don't think, and I don't, and I was firmly on board with them re-signing him. I think it was the right thing to do. I think you take a guy who you know what you have and you know what his capabilities are and you know that he makes your team better and you bring him back versus jettisoning him and hoping to replace that somehow. Yep. Like hoping that you, your statistical models, your scouting department and everything have figured it out so well that you're going to do it. So I want to be clear when we're bringing this this information up, it's not to be like, hey, we don't think Alan Polito should be uh, DP or should be on this team or whatever. I I, I really am not making that claim. But we're also <laughs> we're also we're also highlighting a fact that maybe he's not maybe, you know, his 14 goals and one assist in league play this year. And I think all competitions like 17, I think, with League's Cup and, and Open Cup um, was overperforming mm-hmm. fairly significantly yeah. yeah and and you know there are especially now that we're uh we're deep into the playoffs i mean there are there are players on other teams who uh uh who, who, whose comparisons uh are even less flattering to polito if you look at somebody like cucho hernandez i mean the yeah, guy right. is, he's he's off the off the charts and everything and and um and it's part of the reason why Columbus is so good and and well, such a dynamic but there's, team. But there's levels to this. As much as as happy as I was that Sporting splashed ten million dollars to sign Alan Polito, I think they overpaid to get him because not many not, not many you know, high quality strikers of that level were were clamoring to come to Kansas City. Yep. All all the freaking dap in the world to Tim Bezbachenko for getting Cucho Hernandez. Dude was playing at Wolverhampton. It's not like he was at like Chivas. Okay. Right. Dude was playing at Wolverhampton and they signed Well, sort of playing, but he was on the game day roster every week for Wolves. And this was when Raul Jimenez was there. And there's a, there's an alternate world in which Cucho stays there for a year and now is starting every day for Wolves because, you know, Raul Jimenez kind of had his head injury and things kind of went sideways. There's a whole kinds of different things could have happened there. Or wait, am I, am I missing my W teams? Is he at Watford or is he at Wolves? I thought it was a, I thought it was wolves, but um, I thought it was you wolves. Never too. Know. You know what? I start, this is what happens when I start talking off of memory. Cody's going to like look it up and figure out that I'm wrong. Um, but anyway, I think that there are levels to this. We're talking about a Premier League center forward um, leaving in his early 20s to come play uh, versus a 28 year old. Yeah, it was player. it was it was Watford. It was Watford. God damn um, it! I knew I fucked yeah. that up. Okay, well, at least I caught myself in the middle of it. Um, and Watford, of course, now is in the championship. So, um, anyway, maybe they should have kept Cucho. Yeah. They um, he's, he's great. Yeah. And, uh, isn't he playing Columbia right now? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. So good for him. Columbia, yep. I think winning tonight, by the way, did you see the whole thing with Luis Diaz and his dad being in the stands and, uh, all that stuff? Like it's, that's man. It's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I mean. It's really fucked up that we're talking about that, but yeah, it's really cool to see them. Um, I think that um, 
your point about um, unlocking shallow is the one that's most important to me is because yep. you're exactly right. That is, that is exactly what Kyrie Shelton did in 2018. And that's when shallow really broke out. And there was a lot of conversation about him. You know, he's getting caps with the Hungary and national team. It was a lot of talk about him, like going to Europe and he had a season like this and shallow. has by far the best underlying numbers on the team. Yep. It's not even close. <laughs> yep. Um, his, his, expected goals and assist contribution is like double that of anyone on the team. So uh, he's, um, he's had an outstanding year and continues to play really, really well. And he, you, you, he looks like a 27 year old winger in his prime mm-hmm. that is like feeling it. You yep. know what I mean? And, um, and, and he owes a lot of that to, to Polito. I mean, I'm frankly, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's the whole point of this discussion is that, is that Alan Polito makes this possible. Exactly. And Shallowy needs that space. If he has that center forward that can provide him the space as well as the combination to allow him to get behind, he's he's a really good player. And yep. he's got a center forward that does that. And I think that I think that teams are gonna have to handedly, teams are gonna have to spend a lot of time next year thinking about how they're gonna stop Daniel Shallowy, which means they also have to stop thinking about stopping Alan Polito and just, you know what I mean? Like yeah, that, that's yep, the whole point of having, that's yeah. the whole point of having several quality attackers is that you can't stop them all. And I yep. think that that was, that was what caused Daniel to struggle a couple of years after that season was that there weren't those other uh, significantly dangerous attackers other than, you know, like I said, Johnny Russell doing his one V one dribbling thing, but that that's not, that's not a sustainable like goal creating or shot creating sort of solution. And shallowly has, uh, he, he provides significant problems for defenses. He can get behind them very easily. His touch has improved so much over the last year. Like just, there's a lot of stuff that I've been really happy with. And then he's also a really good defensive winger. Like he defends yep. really well. He puts in a shift on the defensive side. He's one of the best pressing wingers in the league. And I, I just like, he's, he does it all. And I'm kind of bummed that it's 27 year old Daniel Shallowy doing it because I think if if he's doing this at 23, he's he's going to Europe, he's playing at a European right. club and right and getting a little bit more interest. But you know, I'm the the selfish side of me is like we got Daniel Shallowy for a while, and mm-hmm. he is in my opinion one of the best left wingers in the league. I mean, obviously Denis Boanga still exists, but I mean there he's still he's he's in that he's not quite at that level, but he's getting there. Totally agree. And and when when Mesut Leibold starts dropping dimes to him, it'll uh, <laughs> it'll it'll be even more apparent. I mean, the man hits an early cross like nobody's business, dude. He's like mm-hmm. left-footed Trent Alexander-Arnold. He really is. Like yeah. the dude, he, he could, he's got he's got a freaking sweet left foot that can deliver a pass. There's no doubt about that. So that, that and that's a part we didn't talk about regarding this game. Is like, what is Sporting going to do to to take it to to, to Houston? And if they can get libeled and shallow in space, I think Houston's, really, Houston's back line is not good. And I They're think that attacking down the wings is really, I mean, that is not, I think, uh, Houston's uh, forte at defending that. And so um, that's why I think um, the, 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 the matchup is, is pretty favorable for Sporting KC is uh, I think that our, our strengths and their weaknesses uh, match up uh, very favorably. So, if we, right. if we can, if Sporting can stay out of transition, if they can figure out how mm-hmm. to keep Houston from 
getting into space with the ball. And and when I say transition, I'm not talking about counterattacks. I don't think that's as much more what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like like you said, if they press with three and break the pressure and are dribbling through across the half line in space, like that, I right. feel like that's a problem. Um, and we, we we don't want our center backs to be you know running backwards. Defending right? space is just not yep. what Sporting is good at. So nope. they want to they want to make they want the lines as compact as possible when they're defending. That's just the, and and if they can do that, they can generally defend well. But yep. if there's space between their lines, defending that's a big issue. Um, so if they can maintain that that posture, and then can get the ball on pressure or counter pressure, and get the get shallowly running down the line with Leibold and Tommy or Kinda or whoever. Houston does not want to deal with that. They don't. They do not want to deal with that break. They're, no. That's just, and especially down that side, their right side no. of center back is not that player. So, like, they, this is, and if Griffin Dorsey's overlapping as much as he does, there's space there. Like that, that is a place where Sporting can find some joy. So, I, you know, we're getting into one thing to look for already, and so maybe we'll do that now. But that is, um, I think, like the key thing that Sporting should be attacking, and obviously, attacking up the left is what they do. So. I would be th- if I'm if I'm Vermees, I'm like, look for Griffin Dorsey to overlap. And as soon as he does intercept and go yeah. like, I mean, because you can you can go blasting down their left side. Coca-Cola ski is not going to top stop that play. Nope. And and Griffin Dorsey, if he's stuck high now, all of a sudden you're, um, you know, running at their their back line with a bunch of space. And I just I feel like um, there's an opportunity there that you know i, I it, it it kind of it, it's weird that it just sort of fits right into sporting's ideal progression philosophy well and i, I think that i think that it. this is this is another place where the 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 narratives embraced by the the national media really fall short and we talked about this a little bit on, today on discord it, it that the you know the consensus is that it, Sporting's really going to suffer for not having Ndenbe out there, but um, but I think you know the the people who've watched the team very closely know that uh, Leibold is not a downgrade. Uh, he's a different kind of player, but um, but he's not necessarily a downgrade, especially on the attacking end. And um, and so I I well, uh, Sviatchenko is not a good defender. Like, no. the, the, and so like, was Mikhail going to have to come over? Like, I, I mean, I'm serious. Like I'm thinking about yeah. like, how is the problem? How is but Houston going to defend teams, uh, sporting getting free on the left? Teams that defend a lot better than Houston uh, ha- were un- have been unable to stop sporting fr- from coming down the, that left-hand side all season long and all, all last season and the season before that, frankly. And so um, I don't expect Houston to be able to, to have much success doing that. Uh, and, and, you know, if, I, if I were Houston, I would just be uh, uh, taking a page from Sporting's book, and I, right. I mean, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna defend by possessing the ball, and we're gonna try and and score first, and try and, and get a goal in the first because that, yeah. that's Sporting's yeah. mo, right? Like get yeah. a goal in the first fifteen minutes, so like one of the best in the league at doing it. 
Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, their defensive posture in a lot of those games has not been great. But um, if Houston but, do but that, neither, neither has Houston's. I mean, Houston right. Houston gives up a lot of leads too. So uh, honestly, like like if you, so we're talking like, about this like it's going to be a four three game and it's going to be a zero zero yeah. through one twenty and and it's and, to Milia and Milia, right? I mean, that's probably the way it'll go, you know. And Steve Clark, Steve Clark is an ep- epic shithouser. So that that part will be interesting. Uh, I. I don't think his shit housing had anything to do with Diego Luna missing his penalty. I just think it was just a kid that, you know, had a tough, just, you know, pressure was too much for him. I don't think it was Steve Clark, but also I feel like that stuff, like if you have to do that shit, like Melia doesn't do any of that shit. No, because he, he doesn't have to, he lives off of his, uh, his, his reputation. Well, and like I said, there's something that he knows that yeah. we don't know. Yeah. And, and he, uh, he, he feels confident in that he doesn't have to play the games, and that's I that would scare me more as a yeah. as a penalty taker. He's in the guy's just head. the guy's just standing there, just looking at you, going, "I know what you're gonna do," and yep. that would fuck with me more than the bouncing around and the stupid stuff and messing with the ball. Like that's stuff. I'm just like, I'm in your head if you have to do all that shit, right? Um, anyway, <laughs> okay, so let's do a quick potpourri, just like your favorite Jeopardy category. One topic. We'll discuss. There could be anything in around the Sporting Kansas City MLS soccer sphere. Boy, oh boy, did the U.S. men's national team get the discourse train rolling. Holy shit. So they they uh, dominate uh, Trinidad and Tobago and Austin. Um, and when I say dominate, they dominated possession, dominated shot creation, all the things. It took them 80-some minutes to score, and then they finally – and then they ripped off a few more and got a 3 nothing, 3 nothing win, which – Came in handy. <laughs> um, goodness gracious! But yeah, I mean, it was it was you know a lot of the same old concerns, which is this team struggles to create substantive, high quality chances. They're more of a chance aggregator, a la Sporting Kansas City, than they are um, necessarily a team that creates consistent, high quality chances. Um, then. They go down to Trinidad, <laughs> a place where things have always gone well for um, the U.S. Men's National Team. Um, and lose 2-1, to one, but win on aggregate to qualify for Copa America, make it to the semifinal of Nations League. Um, man, I... Uh, I don't even know what to say. So, um, so I, I I'll say this: uh, they before uh, before Dest's red card last night, they looked really good, um, like really really good. Um, even uh, Brendan Aronson looked good, and I'm not a big Brendan Aronson fan. I feel uh, like they, Brendo's made for these games, man. Uh, yeah, I think these are the kind yeah. of games he's made for: yeah. shitty field, bouncy. Like it's just. Yep. Like, I mean, just, uh, you know, you're in Trinidad. It's it's going to be hard. It's going to be dirty. It's just going to be, like, not good soccer. That's Brendo's, like, he's like, sign me up, dude. This is what I do. I'll I'll just go run my ass off and be a pest. Yep. And that, that's actually good for that environment. Absolutely. He, you're, you're right. So, he was very good uh, up until that point. You you know, so, so you have him. You have, uh, on the other side, you have Gio, who's ready to – you know, do do the things that Geo does, and he had two two um, two forwards playing, and that's not something really that Greg does a lot of, and um, and so um, um, 
And some of I that had to it, do with how successful they were when they brought Pepe on at the end of the first game. Sure. And they ran Pepe and Balogun, and all of a sudden things opened up. Yeah. I think that has something to do with why Greg did it, because as soon as they ran two forwards and both, and Balogun was making the near post run and Pepe was making the far post run or vice versa, all of a sudden the space opened up and they right. started getting a lot well, of and you know that, and, and you know that Trinidad is going to be, you know, they have to, they have to play more open. They have to come at you because, you know, they're down. Uh, they're down uh, multiple goals, Great, and so yeah, and so uh, it, I think it was the right choice, and I think that uh, I think that it, you know without uh, without Dest's you know meltdown, uh, I think that probably would have been a fuck, complete, man. Dude, like, I, I, it's I don't know, it's crazy, honestly. I he, and I had to be reminded of this, but he did this in the Nations League final against yeah. Mexico, yeah. Or semifinals last year's Nations League some or two years ago's Nations League semifinal uh, against against Mexico, like what in the fuck, dude? Yeah, everybody wonders why, uh, you know, he's he's uh, he 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 never caught on at, at Barcelona or Milan or or any other big club. And well, you know, he's the, a he's the, a different there's, there's, dude, right? There's like, things going on here, right? I mean, <laughs> it's it's well documented that he's a different dude, and he thinks about life in a lot in a, in a significantly yeah. different way than a lot of human beings do. And but I, and I'm whatever, I'm fine. Yeah, with that. Like, absolutely, he, absolutely. I mean, I understand he makes a lot of money to play soccer, and you know, I don't know how much they pay him to do international U.S. men's national team. But I mean, I he's a professional soccer player making a lot of money to do it. So there's like a certain level of expectation you have about how he treats that from a professional standpoint. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which which I can recognize. Like I understand that. But but also like if you're if you vibe a little bit differently, I'm totally cool with that. But what in the world? would cause you to like he it looked like he was mad about not getting a foul call so like, yeah so I, he, I, re- he did, I rewound it and i yeah. saw it and the foul call is like sort of like yeah i mean whatever but it's conca calf you right. know what i mean <laughs> right like, right I, that's I've the seen, thing i mean i've seen that ca- that foul not it, called it was, a billion times yeah, it was pretty calf. innocuous for a conca calf foul um and then and then you know he thinks he kept the ball in and then he gets whistled out and he just loses his fucking mind i, I was like whoa and what was surprising to me was seeing how his teammates responded to it because that was the part that, that was, I mean, I made a joke about this on Twitter, which, which I still think is funny. Um, you know, I was like, if Gia Reyna is the one telling you to calm down, like how far have you strayed? Like yeah, for real, for real. Shit, shit's got bad. Like you, you really having a meltdown if, if Gio's the one having a telling you to chill out, but still like, I've never seen Tim Ream do that in my life Green was pissed like he was incensed so yep. this feels like something that's like sort of been talked about a little bit matt turner looked like he was ready to fight him yeah like matt turner's the nicest human being on planet earth like that guy is like legitimately like the most wholesome person on earth that's what i was thinking about sunny that was the adjective i needed for sunny earlier he's like he's too wholesome to be batman um but so, similarly matt turner he's like just a wholesome just like super nice like yeah yeah. You know, regular ass freaking New Jersey white kid. You know what I mean? At yep. Upper New Jersey, not like Gio Reyna, New Jersey. Um, and or is he from Connecticut? I forget where he's from. Anyway, somewhere up there in the East Coast. But anyway, but Matt's just like, he's a he's super just like chill, laid back dude. And he was ready to fight Surge. I was like, what is going on out here? Like they were mad, mad at him. And I, I, I have to believe that there's going to be some downstream impact to this. Now I I understand 
Burhalter's quotes after the game, it's like, let's not, let's not reach, let's not get too far down. Like, like let's not overreact, you know, something bad happened, blah, 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 blah. But I'll be honest, Serge was buns in the first game. Yeah. And, I mean, he, he hit that dime of an assist to Jedi early in, in the Trinidad game to get the, to get the open, but he, he wasn't like he was playing that great. And like, it's like, I, I hesitate to be like, does he need some get right, you know, time or something like that? But still, it reminds me of the fact we have a bunch of under 25 year olds, like Serge is what, 22, yep. 23 yep. Um, kids on this team. And I just remember what a fucking dipshit I was when I was 23. Mm-hmm. So I have to like, you know, use that <laughs> as like understanding. I mean, it, 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 it upsets me to think about the fact that I am old enough to be Serginho Des' dad. So like, and, and when I think about it in that perspective, I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, okay, I, I got some life experience that like gives me a little bit different perspective on this stuff than he probably has. But man, dude, like you got to at least like kind of get that shit under control. Um, like, you know, after the, after the yellow, the first yellow, you just shut up and walk away, but you know that's uh, that's, that's no. He wouldn't stop it. There was nothing stop stopping. Him. Yep. You know, you I, know, it was funny too. He he covered his mouth. Did you see him? Did you see him <laughs> cover his yeah. mouth to, yeah. to say it because uh-huh. he didn't want any video of it in case mm-hmm. somebody somebody tried to read his lips or something. So he must have said some bad shit. Whenever you have to cover your mouth to say it, you know you're trying to protect yourself so you don't get caught on camera with all the you know people there there's a bunch of u.s men's national team accounts out there yeah i mean and i'm not even talking about chris russell i'm talking like there's a bunch of like <laughs> video aggregators and whatnot i mean walkie would be knee deep trying to figure out what mm-hmm. he said and i'm sure he's still trying to figure it out anyway but um there's a lot of guys out there that will uh that will break that down and you, you get caught saying some shit you shouldn't um but but know. you know the, the the thing is is that is that uh that was terrible and it was immature and it shouldn't have happened. But the, but the, the team did not respond well. I don't think, I don't think the coach responded well. Um, I, you know, I, at the time I was like, why, why, why is he pulling off? Um, um, well, that, was a, that was a plan. But, but, then, sub, but, but right. And I heard today that that was a plan sub. So, okay. I mean, you're allowed to make two subs, right? I mean, you could, you could pull off geo and, 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 and pull off one of the, one of the four. Didn't they get six subs in that, in these games too? Six and three windows, I think. I have no idea. That's what it just I heard. Made, it just yeah. made no sense to leave two to to leave two forwards, especially because that's not like that's not the uh, the the team's sort of native he, formation, right? So he, why would you? He why would you leave like that out well, there? yeah. He his his post game comments on it was the four three two kept them in a more similar shape than their. I, I don't know. That's what he thought. I I, I think that. What's the what? One of the criticisms that of Greg that I do that I do think is valid is that he um, gets he gets too cute with how he does things sometimes, and tries to be a little too fancy with what he's doing. And he's like, "We're playing Trinidad. We're up one nothing. I want to put more goals on the board or whatever." And this was like some Andy Reid shit where he like where he like throws a deep route on third and two. You know what I mean? Like, or um, the shovel pass or any of the other kind of stuff that happens yep. that the Chiefs have been struggling with this year because their wide receivers just aren't good enough. 
and he can't pull off the same plays that he did before because yep. you know Patrick Mahomes can't catch the ball and throw it. You know what I mean? And so there, there's there's a little bit of like, all right, I'm missing Pulisic, Wea, McKinney. I just lost my right back. Maybe it's time to shut it down and just get the get the result and move on. Yeah, you have you have you're up one, like you're up one zero on the road. Just just shut it's Concacaf, dude. It's Concacaf. Just we roll got, with a four four one and just we, shut it down. We have to be able to Concacaf as well as the other Concacaf teams can Concacaf. And, and, and we that, and we got Concacaf last night. Not a full Concacaf because well, because we, Alvin we, Jones we did the same but, shit he did in Cuba. Like Jesus right? Christ. Like I, mean, I, I, I I I but. But yeah, I mean, in in fairness, Matt Turner had a pretty bad game. Like that free kick, he should not. That should never be a goal, ever. Yeah, that that's pretty poor. Um, well, did it? Did, did was it my imagination, or did he, did he slip on the first goal? Because it looked to me like like he the first goal. But I'm and, talking about Alvin right, Jones' yeah, free yeah, kick yeah. from like I I just haven't heard anybody. Yards anybody mentioning that and that seems like a pretty significant thing because the field was absolute it's garbage like like guys would make guys would make tackles and like a a yard and a half of turf would come up like yeah yeah, no it was but this is the same shit that happened in kuva and i'm like i'm sorry like you 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 can't make these arguments you just got to figure out how to get a result and they did get enough of a result to move on which is which is the most which is the most important thing the one thing I will say in Berhalter's defense, because a lot of, you know, obviously all of this turned the fucking fire Greg brigade back up. And guys, they just hired him. He's not getting fired <laughs> off of off of advancing to the <laughs> Nations League semifinals. OK, that's not going to happen. Um, but. Everybody's like, oh, well, we haven't seen any progression like Tab Ramos. And I'm sorry, I'm like, I'm struggling with some of these guys. Hercules Gomez is a clear Greg Berhalter hater. Like, he goes on Football Americans and just trashes him the whole time and sides with the players on everything. He does not like Berhalter. It's very clear. There's a few of these other guys, and I don't I don't think Herc ever played with Greg, but there's a few of these guys that were U.S. Men's National Team players, and Tab was a player with Greg. And Tab was also the U-20s coach for, like, seven years when they hired Greg Berhalter and chose him over Tab. And Tab's out here saying, well, we've not seen any progression in this second cycle, blah, 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 blah. He's coached six fucking games. You know why? Because his best friend tried to fucking blackmail him out of the damn job. And <laughs> and and he's and he's out there playing without Pulisic and Wea and Tyler Adams, Adams and, and McKinney. And McKinney. I mean, yeah. we, we talked just a little bit ago about not having your best players in, in MLS and you, you bump it up to the international level. It's an even bigger deal. And it's like, come on, man, just he's whatever. been the coach of the team again for like three months. And we're already like, well, we're not progressing. I mean, it's like, it's like people, what, I don't know what they want. They do, 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 do we want to go back to the empty bucket? Is that what we're doing? I mean, like what, what kind of soccer are they expecting to see? What kind of soccer do they think that the, the, the team is capable of? Like, I don't understand. It, it, it smacks like with, with the with the former player stuff it smacks of jealousy to me to me more yeah. than anything like it, it just feels like that it feels like oh he's you know he's he's just that fucking guy who got to play like a couple games for us in korea and that he's not really that he was never that good blah 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 blah, blah. how is he the head coach of our team now i think that like i seriously it feels a whole lot of that kind of stuff going on um i feel like claudia rainia's stuff like him him and Danielle acting a fool and doing all that stuff while they've been friends forever, I think is related to the fact that 
Greg is doing the job that they wanted to do. Like yeah. there, I think that there's a whole lot of jealousy going on there, which does speak to the commentary around the sort of insular nature mm-hmm. of the yep. U S soccer and, and how it's just all these fucking guys who are all buddies for 20 years are all there like running it. And I do think it's good that we have Matt Crocker in here. Now we mm-hmm. have like a different sort of leadership structure who is making decisions a little bit outside of this good old boys club that has been U S soccer for a long time. And even he chose Greg. Yeah. But and, and they did it, and they did it based on metrics and analytics and, and a variety of other things that like they they put together and they did like an analysis of it and a yep. statistical analysis of it, and they were like, look this, and and then they also talked to the players and said, you know, what do you feel about how he's coaching? Like there was a lot of you know investment that went in to try and ensure that yep. they had they didn't just bring him back because ah oh, this is easy, and I think that there's a lot of people who feel like that's what happened because. U.S. Soccer has done that a lot in the yeah. past, and so I understand where the the um, frustration comes from. But um, I, I got to be honest; like I, I've been clear about this in the past. I think Berhalter is actually a pretty good coach. I, I do think too. he I think he overdoes it sometimes. I think he tries he he gets too cute. Like I think that those things happen. But also, it's fucking Trinidad, man. We we, right. we 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 passed them. We're in the we're in the we're in the Nations League semifinals. A bunch of guys are going to be healthy in March when we play again. It'll be fine. Um, I do think that it does highlight, to your point, a significant problem that we highlighted a couple weeks ago, which is he's got to get more young players into this group and bring them up and get them to where they can play more because we didn't see Pax and Aronson once. Yeah. Like, I would like to have seen him play in these. We, we really could better Aronson. Yeah. I will stand I, by that forever. Did you see, I, I tweeted a picture of them standing next to each other. Doesn't Paxton already look like 10 years older than his brother? <laughs> 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 They're just, it's like even Brendo looks like his, looks like the little brother already. Yeah. It, it's, it's wild to me, but um, it it's, there's there, we need to get more of that. Right. And I think the Olympics are a good opportunity to do that in the spring or spring in the summer to, to get more players in, engaged. But I, I we talked about this two weeks ago. There, there needs to be more depth because what's clear is when Pulisic and Wea and McKinney and Adams are gone, this team's struggling. Which is which is a big reason why uh, they did not advance in the World Cup, right? If, if if anybody remembers, it's because there wasn't midfield depth and our midfielders were cooked because they had mm-hmm. to play like as many minutes as possible. And and we still have Lu- midfield depth. I thought Luca played okay. Like I, mean, I thought he was fine. He played okay against Trinidad and Tobago. I mean, come on. Yeah, you know? well, like, I mean, the last time we played in Trinidad and Tobago, we didn't. Our midfield did not play okay. They were fucking we had terrible. A, we we had a midfield of one. <laughs> Michael Bradley. <laughs> um, you know, but 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 the but the lack of midfield depth is a, is a problem, you know, and and um, especially if uh if Berhalter is going to continue to play in a you know a 4-3-3ish kind of thing like i think he's a good coach and i, really I just a don't 4-3-3 though they they're kind right. of a, they're playing with like co- sort of like a 4-2-3-1 sort of double 10 kind now of thing. now they are now now yeah. now that now that they've moved Reyna into the midfield for sure yeah, yeah. um but, but but Tillman Tillman didn't acquit himself very well against right. uh, against Trinidad in the first game and that's what i'm saying is like now that said it was his first start in a like meaningful game in CONCACAF like like some of this stuff takes 
you need to, like it's it's sharpening sharpening the knife you know iron sharpening iron kind of thing like mm-hmm. you you need these reps like think about how hit or miss a lot of the like McKinney and Adams and were in 2020 right yeah. when they were playing yep. when they were playing yep. matches 2019 2020 like you got to go through this a little bit to sort of you know understand what you're dealing with and that's what I'm saying is we got to start doing this shit right now because yeah. we need these guys to you know, be sharpened come 2026. You know who CONCACAF who needs? Diego Luna. I'm so looking. He's a perfect CONCACAF player, man. <laughs> I love him. He, so he, 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 first of all, he's saucy as hell, and he, he's like a fun-ass player. Secondly, he looks like he might be selling loose cigarettes outside the stadium. <laughs> I swear to God, like just I just love everything about him, man. Me too. <laughs> just like me too. I, I'm uh, I just I he's he's gotta be playing in the Olympics. I'm really did he turn down a U23 camp call up? Is that what I heard? I think he turned it down. I'm a little playoff. I'm a little worried. I no but the RSL is out. Yeah. But were they out when the when the when he turned it down? Yeah. I don't know. When did, did the camp open up? The camp didn't start before they played that game. No, I don't know. I don't know. That's a little bit worrying to me. Yeah, because he can play for Mexico still. Okay, I mean, he can. <laughs> yeah. He can. He has no caps for the men's team. One time switch, and he's yep. good. So. This is- um, this is why you got to play those guys um, with the with the pool team. You know, you can't you, you can't just mess around. Keep keep bringing in players who I mean, aren't I, getting I, the job done. I mean, I, I'm I'm with you on that part of it. If if you really believe that these are not the right players and that you're not bringing them in, or that you're bringing players in that are not up to up to the task, I'm with you on that part of it. I'm not I'm not with the philosophy of like cap tying somebody so you can have them as an option. No, no, no. I right neither am I. Neither am I. Um, if you want to have an actual idea and a plan for him, and and in fairness, Luna has been playing really well for the last like four months, but yeah. he was not at that level prior to that. And I think that this is the hard part of being the national team coach of a, such a young national team is that you're gonna have those waves in performance, yep, and like fitting people in when they're on the high side of that wave, yep, and understanding that when they're on the low side and they need to develop more, you, you got to figure out how to manage them through that. And like, Hey, look, I'm not calling you up now, but this is what you need to work on and like do that part of it. And it sounds like Burr fairly decent at that, but I mean, Fuller and Balligan is not near at the level that he was six months ago when, you know, he committed. Right. Yeah. But Ricardo Pepe is fucking flying right now. Yep. Right. And, and I think that that's the thing is like, you got to figure out that balance. But one of the things that I said is that I think is really, really important is that having two high quality young strikers who have a lot of upside means that you grab the hot hand, right? Yeah, and, it's and better I think than having what, one. And that's what Berhalter did. Like <laughs> Pepe has been great off the bench in these last, you know, six matches coming on the bench, uh, coming on for Balogun and getting late goals and whatnot. He's been really, really good. And his movement opens up a ton of space. And I, I, there's a lot of things I like about him. Um, but it's also going to be, you know, it's pressuring. It's like, Hey, look, this guy's playing well. We need to bring him yeah. games. And, and I give credit to Greg to putting him out there with Balian at the beginning of, of the second one, because I do think that that two striker setup had some impact on 
giving opportunity uh, against um, Trinidad's low block. So it, it it's all stuff that I think you're learning over time. And I'm trying not to take too much. I'm, like I feel like we parse some of this stuff so much. We do. Yeah. At the end of the day, it doesn't. It, it's just like uh, it's just like people griping about the the Chiefs losing last night. You know, at, the only thing that really matters is who wins the Super Bowl. If the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, nobody gives two craps about uh, losing uh, that game last night. That's just right. the truth, you know. So, the, the the game that I was worried about the Chiefs beating the Eagles in happened last February. Right, <laughs> they didn't. They they didn't lose. <laughs> they so, won that game. That's yep. the one I was worried about. The Chiefs beating the Eagles in. So, all right, games coming up. We got, yeah. we got, we got Turkey Day, and then Black Friday, and all the things, and then Sunday. What is it like? Six p.m. What time is that game? Yeah, yeah. It's the it's a, it's the early game. I think it's seven, and then the the uh, Seattle game is at like nine thirty or something like that. Oh wow, that's late. Eastern yeah. or I don't know. No, yeah, it's it's six o'clock. Is it, is it six o'clock? Six o'clock our time. Is, yeah, okay. Is the, is, that's that's much better. And then C- Seattle LAFC is eight thirty. So that those are the Eastern time zone times that you quoted. So, well, all right. Well, I hope all of you have many many things to consider as you're watching the game and looking for. How sporting Kansas City and Houston may um, perform against each other on Sunday. I am cautiously optimistic about sporting's chances, and we'll have to see if that optimism is warranted or not. Have fun! It's a game. Have fun! It's a game. Yeah, it's pl- it's it's an it's it's a game that means something. Like enjoy it. Like we, yeah. you know. I, as much as we shat on the fact that um, sporting have had some pretty stinker seasons in the last few years, something was brought to my attention that this is like the fourth conference semifinal they've been in the last six years. It's not too shabby. It's not bad. I mean, there are a lot of teams who would give a lot to be in that position. You yeah. Know? Think about Chicago. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And they rehired their whole state. Think about think about St. Louis. I mean, let's pour one out for those guys. No, I will not be pouring one out for them. <laughs> They're gonna be just fine. Yeah. All right. On that note, I'm Drew. He's Cody. We'll talk to y'all next week. Bye bye.